Oh, you guys are like chatty this morning. Okay, I'm going to ask you to go to Romans chapter 1. Either uh, you have a Bible electronically, maybe you found the hard copy in front of you in the seats, or maybe you brought one with you. You're going to also see the verses on the screen. And while you're going to Romans chapter 1, I'm going to quickly go to Galatians. Galatians 1.10. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. I'm acutely aware that James writes, let not many of you become teachers, for you will incur a stricter judgment. The weight of that hangs with me 24-7, all the time. So I do not step into Romans chapter 1 with you lightly this morning. But I'm here to say that I fear God way more than I fear you, which is a good thing. I like you. But I understand what it means to fear God more than man. So Galatians 1.10 really resonates with me. Am I seeking to please God or seeking to please men? That's a question every one of us should ask ourselves. Who's our first responsibility towards? And for me, as a teacher of God's word, I, I feel the weight that I incur a stricter judgment by even stepping into this territory. But I wanna share the weight this morning that we would find these truths that are stated in Romans chapter 1 so impactful that we cannot respond to it. That we would find ourselves in the place we have to respond to it. So I'm going to invite you to pray with me, if you would do that. And we're going to invite God to have his way in this place and for those who are watching virtually right now that God's word would speak in such a way that he would change us. Would you join me in that? Father, we recognize that living in the world and in the age, in this generation that we do in 2021, we are vastly impacted by our culture to the degree that it, it pollutes our understanding of you and of your word. And we are prone to fear man but your word commands us to put you in a preeminent position and not what man thinks. And our, our desire is to have the approval of mankind. And so we find our church that belongs to you in a place where we have to determine who we're going to follow after. And we step into Romans 1 with that in our mind. I would ask that you would guide us, you would lead us through the power of the Holy Spirit and, and where you bring conviction, God, that you would set my tongue free and that you would release us this week to be representatives of your kingdom in such a way that we speak the truth in love to those whom we hold as precious in our social circles. God, I pray for that. I plead for that. In the matchless name of Jesus, our Savior, and all God's people said, amen. I'm going to take you to an image on the screen that was stunning to me. It might be painful for some of you, especially if you're a Spartan fan. I want you to see an image of the big house, okay? Okay, now after you get over the recoil, no fair applauding, okay, just hold, hold, hold your thought. That's two or three weeks ago when Michigan played Washington. It was 9-11. Saturday, 9-11, I'm watching this because it's a nationally broadcast event. Game of the week. Everybody's watching it. And I see this massive flag brought out. I've never seen a flag so big in my life. It's not just covering a football stadium. It's the big house. It's the biggest collegiate stadium in the world. 
And they've got a monster flag out there. And along with that, the children's choir, the youth choir of Detroit begins singing, God bless America, as that thing is being unfurled across this stadium. And to add to it, then you get jets flying over and, and people are left in awe. I thought, wow, this is stunning. My daughter, who's in her 20s, was walking through the family room. She was home for the weekend, and she said, that's awesome. And I stopped to think, when did that become so exceptional? And sure enough, across the nation, all the pundits, all those who make their living talking on television began talking about the opening ceremony of the Michigan game and then how it was going to be repeated at offices the next day. And sure enough, it was around the nation. People were saying, did you see that? How have we arrived at the place where singing God Bless America is so exceptional? And people in the offices the next day would say, at the University of Michigan, they sang God Bless America? It, it caught people by surprise. And I, I was left wondering, what happened? On 9-11 in 2001, after the attacks, churches immediately saw a massive increase in attendance. And most people who were leaders in churches anticipated it, and they geared up for it. And for three months, the nation swelled in church attendance. Whether you were alive at that time or not, I'm here to tell you that it was such a dramatic national event actually around the world that people wanted to know what is going on. And they, in panic, naturally looked to God's word. R.C. Sproul was heard to be saying, well, God's been let off the reservation. Follow that thought through. R.C. Sproul actually said, God's been let off the reservation for a short time. Think about the implications of his statement. It was only after three months went by that people began to resume their normal patterns of life and parents began to choose soccer on Sunday morning as opposed to church on Sunday morning. And people began to resume their normal lifestyle. And God was put back on the reservation. Last year at the onset of COVID-19, exact same scenario played out. People in absolute panic caused church participation to swell off the charts and viewings of virtual church just skyrocketed around the nation. Many who saw what was going on were in a panic and wanted to know, well, what does God's word have to say? And New Hope was no exception to that. Thousands of people started dialing in and watching New Hope services. Churches around the country experienced the exact same thing, and literally by the millions, households and families sat down together to be part of church services virtually. All good. Because of the flurry of activity and the obvious uptick in interest, I began privately wondering, I wonder how long this one's going to last. And sure enough, about eight or nine weeks. Eight or nine weeks go by, and... People started finding their way back to what they could in the way of normality and very quickly moving on. Americans get bored really, really easily, don't we? We do. And we move on very, very quickly. And once again, God was put back on the reservation. It is no secret that our generation has arrived at a place where God is a bottled convenience. And he's pulled out when there's a need and his word is used to tickle the ears. And our generation has indeed become a second Timothy generation. What do I mean by that? Look with me at this, second Timothy 4.3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine that wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires, and they will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. 
We live in a generation where God is only valued until he's no longer of any need, and then he's put back on the reservation until he's needed again. And I'm here to tell you this morning, there are identifiable consequences for treating God with such contempt. And that's why I wanted to take you into Romans chapter 1 this morning. I'm acutely aware that what we're about to cover today is not popular by any measure. And to spend any time whatsoever discussing the wrath of God typically causes people to internally and externally recoil. Like, oh, do we really have to? I just want you to know right up front, if you came to New Hope this morning looking for Happy Sunday, that was last week. (laughs) Or next week. Because what you're about to walk into is very, very intense. So I'm going to give you good news first before we get into the hard things. And I want you to hear the good news first because in case you decide to walk out on me and I ticked people off in the first service, I'm going to tick people off in this service. In light of the excessively hard things we're about to examine, I want you to be reminded of Romans 5.8 right here on the front end. It says this, God demonstrated his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood... We shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. That's the rescue. That's his doing. And if you accept it, if you accept the reality of Romans 5 eight, you can be saved from the wrath of God. Now, speaking of the wrath of God, go with me to Romans 1. This is a little bit of a revisit of what we looked at in July when somebody put in the hard question... Why does it seem like God's angry? And we spent some time in the very early part of July examining that. That was a surface treatment to this much deeper. I've been working on this since last May. I'm sorry if it feels like I'm unloading the truck on you this morning. No, I'm not. I'm not sorry. Because God laid it on my heart, so here it comes. We discover at a very early age things that are repulsive to us can be avoided. And we will avoid them at all cost. At 13 years of age, I came home from football practice and my mom was cooking supper. Now, there's a few things I really despised in my childhood related to food. I've told you about how much I did not like beets before. And don't bring me your recipe for beets saying, I've got to try yours. Because... I'm just saying, all right? So beets, and however it was my mom cooked asparagus was not good. But right at the very top of the list, stewed tomatoes. Yeah, my wife's laughing because she knows. So she's had to learn the art of having to cook with tomatoes that are not necessarily full of all the pulp, all right? Just being really genuine with you right now, okay? So stewed tomatoes were like an abomination to me. And they still are, so don't bring me any. Okay, hear this though. My mom's cooking, I'm 13 years of age, I come in the house, and before I can even turn the corner, she hears me walking down the hallway, and I walk right into her hand and she's going, Mark, stop. I already know what you're gonna say. Yes, we're having stewed tomatoes. Because it permeated the house. And she said, if you don't like it, go down to your grandparents and eat. My grandparents only lived a block away. So I went down to my grandparents. (laughs) I walk in the door of my grandparents' house. My grandma has a big pot on the stove. And I said, what are you having for supper? She said, Mark, we're having boiled dinner. Okay, that's secondary, but I can take it. And stewed tomatoes. My Aunt Joni and Uncle Dale lived up the street. (laughs) No kidding, this is Kring Corner. Uncles and aunts are all over the place. And so I decided to start this routine, and I headed up towards Aunt Joni's house because she's a good cook. And I stopped at my parents' house to say, Mom, I'm going up to Aunt Joni's to see what she's having. She winked at me. Go ahead. Walk in the door nonchalantly, I begin a conversation with Aunt Joni, and she said, you're not fooling me, you're here for supper. 
I said, yeah, I absolutely am. And wondering what you're having to eat. And she said, Mark, I've got baked beans. Mm. And I've cooked some burger and mixed it in there with some bacon. And you're going to love this bean dish and stewed tomatoes. <laughs> and I grinned slyly. And then I realized in that moment they had been calling each other. As much as I wish it to be true, as much as I wanted to avoid stewed tomatoes, it did not and does not eliminate their existence. As much as people wish it to be true, and as much as they attempt to avoid the truth of God's wrath, it does not eliminate the existence, even though it is profoundly repulsive to human nature. And yes, you can push the plate away. And yes, you can plug your spiritual nose and say, I want nothing to do with it. But it does not make it any less real. There is a reason God moved in the heart of Paul to write the things that he did in Romans chapter 1. And this is the reason. Before a cure can mean anything whatsoever, a disease has to be identified. And in the same way and for the exact same reason, the Bible reveals a disease. You and I cannot appreciate the grace of God, the holiness of God, and the mercy of God until we see the consequence of sin. And because there is sin, there is wrath, and wrath is God's reaction to sin. You want a biblical definition for wrath? Look with me on the screen at this. This is biblical. God's active opposition to everything opposed to him. That's what wrath is. And God is determined that we would understand the reality of being under wrath or he would not have warned us in Romans chapter 1. And I'm talking about the reality that we are under wrath right now in 2021. And that's what I'm going to show you. I want you to understand this. So look with me on the screen at Romans 1.18. It says again, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. If we accept that whatever God does is righteous, everything he does is righteous, we must also believe his wrath is also righteous. It is not evil. God's wrath is not evil because God is righteous Anything he does is righteous. He cannot act unrighteously. So when Paul uses that word for, for the wrath of God, that's a really, really important word that he's using here right at the very beginning because he's taken this word for and it's linking what he just said about wrath with the previous two verses, verses 16 and 17. The reason God's wrath is revealed Verse 16 and 17 is because he's also revealed his mercy. Now, church people know Romans 1.16 really, really well. You'll see it on the screen and you're going to go, that's right, I know that. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But many people forget about verse 17. Verse 16, very clearly, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, verse 17, for in it, in the gospel, in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. Verse 18 says the wrath of God is revealed. Verse 17 says the righteousness of God is revealed. How can the two be together? Well, they're not juxtaposed. They're joined together perfectly in harmony for this reason, mercy is meaningless except in relation to justice. Any attempt whatsoever to retain the concept of God's love without God's wrath is absolutely illogical. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the cross that he died on, that he went to the cross for our sins is absolutely necessary because there is a wrath of God. And only the gospel of Jesus Christ brings deliverance from that wrath. And if you don't think there's a wrath of God, you and I are not reading the same Bible. We're not on the same page. If you're reading the Bible, the wrath of God jumps out. So the weight of verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And the weight of verse 17 is anchored on the assumption that all of humanity is under God's wrath. 
apart from being under God's wrath, Jesus' death on the cross meant nothing. If we're not under his wrath, why would he have gone to the cross? So, since the wrath of God is being revealed against all sin, there's no way to escape other than the one way that actually deals with sin, and that's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the only way to escape that wrath. Now, take all of that truth and anchor that truth and put it alongside this reality. God cares for you, and he cares for the United States of America and every single person on this planet so much He loves so much that he acts and he reveals. In other words, he's doing something in active opposition to sin. So Paul says the wrath of God is being revealed. Let's go into that in verse 18. You need to understand how this fits together. Wrath is being revealed, verse 18. It doesn't say that in your English Bible. It says the wrath of God is revealed. If you were to read a Greek New Testament text, you would find actually the concept of being because this word apocalypto is included. What is apocalypto? It is the base, I told you last week, of where we get the word apocalypse. But apocalypto says something has had the lid pulled off. You can look inside at something to take off the cover. And Paul uses the same word in connection to both righteousness and wrath. He says something's being revealed in relation to righteousness. Something's being revealed in relation to wrath. And if you were to look at the Greek New Testament, you would find it's written in the present passive, which means it's continual, it's ongoing, and it's being done by God. He's revealing his righteousness, and he's revealing his wrath. And if he's doing that... What evidence is there of this in 2021? It must be that there's evidence right before our very eyes. So if you are willing this morning to see with spiritually attuned hearts, God says it's being revealed. You should be able to see it. All of that brings us to this place of focusing on what is happening in our nation. And in order to see accurately and identify what God says is evident... You have to see it through his perspective. I talked to a lot of 20-somethings after the 9 o'clock service who all came to me and said, now I get it. Now I understand that makes sense to me. Let me show you what they saw. Verse 18, for the wrath of God. What's the origin of the wrath, church? It's of God. It means it's unlike anything else that we know. It is vastly superior. And God's wrath is not like human anger. The difference between God's anger and ours is his flows from purity. Our anger and our wrath, it flows from emotion. And our emotion drives it, and it's the severest form of anger when we think of wrath. And it produces an image in your head. You begin thinking of somebody raging, somebody raging out of control and abusing someone else. That's what we think of when we think of wrath. And when we think of rage, somebody completely unhinged. And because that's what we associate with human behavior, we naturally think because they have that emotion, God must have that. And we attach that image to God, and you cannot be further from the truth if that's your imagery. God's wrath is always righteous. He never loses control. He does not rage. Human wrath is vindictive. But wrath is the only response a holy God can have toward evil. God cannot be holy and not act against evil. Look at this, Habakkuk 1.13. Your eyes are too pure to approve evil. You cannot look on wickedness with favor. Back into verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed. So we saw the origin of the wrath. It's of God. And now we're being told it's being revealed. It is revealed. Here's the timing of the wrath. The timing of the wrath is better rendered constantly revealed or being manifested. And the first time it showed up on planet Earth is in the garden. Adam and Eve chose to believe Satan's word over God's word. They despised the word of God. 
the commitment that he had made, and they said, no, we don't think so, we'll take that. And God's wrath was immediately poured out. Death entered the world, and the sentence was passed on humanity. And immediately following that, the earth was cursed. And God cursed the earth, and so since then, things just aren't working right. Anybody have things not go right in your life this week? It's the curse. We call it Murphy's Law. God says, no. That's Genesis chapter 3. Look with me at Romans 8.20. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. Who's the him? The him is God. God is the one who subjected it. How? In hope. You see four-foot letters behind me spelling out the word hope. A biblical definition of the word hope. That which is going to happen but has not yet happened. When you and I think of hope, we're saying, I wish it would happen. God says hope, it's going to happen. It just has not yet happened. So he subjected it in humility and subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. Bear down on subjection. It means God did it. So the origin of the wrath, it's of God. The timing of the wrath, it's being revealed. And here it is again, verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. What's the extent of the wrath? All. The use of the word all is really important because that means there's no exceptions. There's nothing overlooked. You can never say that God doesn't mind some sins. There's no such thing as a fib or a white lie. There's no such things as God winking at sin. It's against all ungodliness. If God responded to some sin with no more than just tolerance, like he's winking at it, then his righteousness could be called into question. But Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Meaning every one of us in this auditorium, every person watching virtually, every person you know that's ever been born except for Jesus, we all have it. It infests our world and it is an unavoidable plague. And that's why John wrote this in 1 John 1.8. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now, obviously, you know people who are morally better than other people. You may even think that way about yourself. I'm, I'm better than so-and-so. And we can grade humanity and we can look at individuals, especially nationally and internationally, and say, that person, man, that's the dregs of society. So obviously, we know people who are morally better than other people, but even the most moral among us is fallen far short of God's standard of righteousness, which means no one escapes. So the origin of the wrath, it's of God. The timing of the wrath, it's being revealed. The extent of the wrath, it's against all. Verse 18, one more time. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. One more time in the definition. Wrath is God's active opposition to everything opposed to him. And we're being told it's being revealed. He's taking the lid off right now. Verse 18 says, against ungodliness and unrighteousness. What's that? Ungodliness, that's a lack of devotion, a lack of worship of God. What does that lead to? That leads to false worship. But even more so than that, it leads to unrighteousness. See, if you've got ungodliness, you're going to have unrighteousness. The two go hand in hand. And the result of ungodliness is this. If a person is ungodly, they're going to act with unrighteous behavior. In other words, ungodliness leads to unrighteousness. So mankind around you who are not believers, 
Don't expect them to act righteously. They cannot, mankind cannot act righteously if they're not rightly related to God. So ungodliness, that godlessness, that lack of reverence, that's an absolute lack of the fear of the living God. So with immoral behavior, it's not simply neglect. It's open rebellion. It's saying, I know you're there, and I don't care. I'm going to live however I want, and who are you to tell me different? And that ungodliness leads to the unrighteousness. The lack of the fear of God leads to this lack of just behavior. Justice for people is inconsistent, and judicial systems render very poor verdicts when they're in the midst of this. I want you to put these pieces together and bring the focus to our world. History demonstrates that nations that forsake God, they lose their moral bearing. And throughout world history, as nations have come and gone, students have, of history have observed a repeated pattern a pattern consistent with the arrival of nations and the departure of nations. I don't know if you're aware that the average nation in world history has not lasted more than 200 years. You go back and check it yourself. You'll find it to be true. And historians have examined that and they find a pattern in the midst of it. And there is a life cycle to a nation. This was first written down in the 1700s. Sir Alexander Tyler, who was a justice in the Scottish Supreme Court, but also a historian, made a study of this. Let me show you what he wrote. I want you to see his quote about the life cycle of a nation, and here it is. From bondage to spiritual faith, from spiritual faith to great courage, from courage to liberty, from liberty to abundance, from abundance to selfishness, from selfishness to complacency, from complacency to apathy, from apathy to dependency, from dependency back into bondage. Nations that forsake God lose their moral bearing, and the result is the actions of those nations become twisted and corrupted. And when a nation or a people lose its moral compass, it loses the capacity to be outraged at sin, and it finds itself calling right wrong and wrong right. I shared this quote with you back in July when we asked the question about God's anger. Let me show you this quote again from Dr. Richard Trench. There can be no sure and sadder token of an utterly prostrate moral condition than not being able to be angry with sin. In my experience from watching our generation, our world, here's what it does. It leaves a confused and disoriented upcoming generation in its wake. Those coming behind us and as a nation moves further and further away from God, it drags its own people and its culture into a collective new thought. New in quotes, because they think it's new, but it's as old as ancient history. We'll do whatever is right in our own eyes. And Jesus said that would be a characteristic of the last days of this planet. He said the last days of this planet the coming of the Son of Man, it will be like it was in the days of Noah. If you had not read Genesis chapter 6, read it later today. Genesis chapter 6 describes the days of Noah, and what you'll find is wicked unleashed. So as the nation moves further and further away from God, it drags its own people and its culture into this collective new thought. We'll do what's right in our own eyes. And I'm telling you, we've arrived at that place in 2021. How else do you explain the horrendous nature of Roe versus Wade in 1973? We have killed millions of people created in the image of the living God and justify it by saying it's a treatment of a medical condition or any other social ill you will come across. How else do you explain the irrational behavior of a nation that would turn us back on God? 
Well, you explain it by Romans chapter 1, verse 18. They suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And that means instead of championing the truth, those who suppress the truth, that truth, they ultimately applaud the devolution into sin. Why? Because wickedness by its very essence denies truth. It can't do anything other than move in the opposite direction away from God, ultimately dragging everything down with it. Remember Paul's premise. His premise is, There's a wrath being revealed. And I said to you, we should be able to see evidence of that. God's revealing wrath, verse 19, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. We're going to come back to that next week. By the way, this is a two-parter. And I'm, I'm going to plead with you to come back next week. Because what I'm going to do, we're going doctrinal this morning, but next week I'm going to use the Old Testament to give you a story so you can see it. It's so much easier to look at another nation and say, oh, look at what they did. It's really hard to look at ourselves. So next week I'm going to give you a story to help you understand this. But let me just come back to this thought about what he said about what's known about God. I'm going to make a very broad sweeping statement and I'll come back to it next week. Humanity, and by that I mean the United States of America, stands under God's wrath because we ignore what we do know, not what we don't know. We ignore what we know to be true. And God is saying it is characteristic of human nature that we know much more truth than we are really ready to translate into response. So the cause of the wrath is they're suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. And God's saying people are guilty because they sin against the truth they do have, not the truth they don't have. And history demonstrates that nations which turn their back on God are abandoned. And what we are watching right now is the wrath of abandonment. And that's a really hard thing for me to say. I love this country. I love this planet, but you look at the behavior and you have to say there is evidence of the wrath. And this is where it began to click with the 20-somethings that were in the last service. This evidence of this wrath that's being revealed is going to help you to be able to explain to your friends, those who are in your social circle, your family members, when they look at it, this will help you to explain why we are experiencing what we are experiencing in the United States of America. The wrath of abandonment means that God's wrath is already at work in our culture. We're not waiting for it. We are living in it. God abandons sinners to their own choices and the consequences of those choices. And the abandoning action on God's part is the removal of restraining grace. You fight against God so long and you strain against the reins and the leash so long that God finally says, you want to be free? I'll let you go free. You want to fight against me? I'll let you go. But you're not going to like the result. And this is human nature. Humans harden their hearts to the things of God and they go past a point and God lets them go. So as we observe the results of the last 40 years, and I'm going to say it that way in the last 40 years because I don't want you to think I'm being political or focusing down on one particular administration. There are multiple political administrations who have led us to this point and we have heartily approved and applauded with them and gone along And we find God at the place where the wrath of abandonment is being unleashed on our nation. Abandoned to the sinful consequences of the sinful choices. And we are not the first nation that it has happened to. Paul speaks about it confidently in Acts chapter 14. In generations past, he said, God permitted all the nations to go their own way. And like the nations of old, we're following the exact same cycle of having the truth and rejecting the truth and being abandoned by God. And I want you to see C.S. Lewis's quote around those exact same thoughts when he wrote the book, The Problem with Pain. This is what C.S. Lewis wrote. 
the lost enjoy forever the horrible freedom that they have demanded and are therefore self-enslaved. So God lets go of a society and that society in turn dives deeper into the sinful freedoms that they really wanted. See, Romans 1 is the best passage in the Bible to explain the moral chaos that's going on and that we are experiencing at this moment in history. You read Romans chapter 1 and you're going to find three times God says, God gave them over. Chapter 1, verse 24, verse 26, verse 28. God gave them over. God gave them over. God gave them over. The Greek word that's used to represent one sentence is paradidomai. Paradidomai is borrowed from the judicial system of the courts in the first century. It was a description of a person who had been convicted of a criminal offense and was being handed over for their punishment. Paul writes it three times. God gave them over, God gave them over, God gave them over. And when this kind of wrath falls, the limit of restraining grace allows sin to run rampant through a society. And so what you find is sin is the result and sin is the reason. Or sin is the reason and sin is the result. The two go hand in hand. So God's worth his wrath is already at work in our generation, and you can see it in sequential steps in Romans 1.24. It's actually the defining section of what it means to be abandoned by God. Here's the big picture. Here's the result. God gave them over in the lust of their hearts, Romans chapter 1 says, and the most noticeable indication of that is the blatant approval of sexual immorality in our nation a culture that becomes openly pornographic. And by pornographic, I don't just mean print media. Porneo in the Greek language represents all types of sexual diversion, shall we say. All types of sexual immorality. The first sign of the wrath of God and God releasing people to the wrath of abandonment when they are released, they operate out of the passion of their impurity, the lust of the heart, what my grandmother's generation would have called things that are dirty. And yet, our nation makes TV shows out of it. And verse 32 of Romans chapter 1 says, we not only approve of it, we give hearty approval to those who commit it. And because lust dominates the heart, it leads to the impurity and the body follows. And simply ask yourself this question. Look at your society that you live in right now and ask this question. You don't have to answer it out loud. Is our society driven by sexual immorality? Absolutely yes. There's nobody that would argue with that. Millions of websites dedicated to sexual perversion of all forms to fulfill the lust of the heart. That's part of the wrath of abandonment, God letting people go. And, and that leads to the crushing of marriages, the horrendous abuse of children. And it continues to run rampant at a wild pace because the restraining grace of God has been removed suddenly you find marriage becoming a minor option in society as people are deeper and deeper involved in immoral behavior. When you see a society in which sexual immorality and perversion are a way of life, and it's approved by those who are in the highest offices in the land and exalted in the national media, you know the wrath of abandonment is in action. Romans 1.28 just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind. A, a depraved mind literally means this, tested and found useless for its original intended purpose. Original intended purpose? To exalt God. That's not talking about people being stupid when it says useless. It's talking about people who willingly say, no way, I'm not going to exalt him. 
So the, the reasoning is so corrupted. Scripture actually says it's crippled. And those individuals begin to advocate for wretched things and they depreciate virtuous things. What flows out of a depraved culture like this? I'm going to sum it up with verse 29. And I'm going to plead one more time for you to come back next week because we're going to use verse 29 to tell the story of an Old Testament nation that did exactly this. Verse 29, this is what's produced in a culture like this. Being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil. Welcome to 2021. What's being revealed? What's going on when God pulls the lid off? It's as though someone has opened up the sewer systems and it's running rampantly and freely through society. That is the wrath of God being revealed and it's what happens when a nation abandons God. That's the really dark part of it and I want you to hold that component and carry it with you to next week, please. Because here's where light breaks in. I told you it was going to end happy. No matter how little spiritual light a culture has, God guarantees any person who sincerely seeks him will find him. Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I'm imploring you, New Hope, this week to cry out with a warning of this existing judgment of God's wrath because there is a far worse wrath coming. And that's total separation from God. So God warns us in Romans chapter 1 because he wants us to hear this. Be aware, open your eyes, look with spiritually attuned hearts at what's going on around you. Now, I'm not ending this by introducing a new thought. I'm taking this thought and I'm completing the thought. I'm connecting it together. Here's what I want you to see. I'm hearing Paul echo from 2,000 years ago. Do you get it? Do you get it, New Hope? It's the gospel in which this revelation occurs. It's the cross of Jesus that shows us the full measure of God's wrath. Jesus took the wrath of God on the cross so that I will not experience the final wrath of God. But God hates sin so profoundly that he allowed Jesus to die in order that you might be saved. So that forgiveness that he offers, that's no cheap gesture. It required the Son of God to leave heaven and become a man and take on the sin of the world. It's as costly as the cross and it's meaningless without the wrath. So this gospel that Paul's talking about in verse 16, I'm not ashamed of it. That gospel is for everyone who's under the wrath of God. It's very clear that God hates sin. He does not hate the poor. He does not hate the rich. He does not hate the talented or the untalented. He does not hate the dumb or the smart. He hates the sin those people practice. And sin inevitably brings wrath. But there's good news. And the good news is this bright spot, Romans 5, 8 but God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, even while we were doing all those wretched things, Christ died for us. Verse nine, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. That's the rescue. That's the rescue plan of God, and it is the only way. And if you choose to accept it this morning, if you're not yet a believer in Jesus, you can become a believer in Jesus this morning, and you can be certain of being saved from the wrath of God. 
I know that to be true because of Romans 8.1. It says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ Jesus this morning, the wrath of God has been removed from you. If you're not in Jesus this morning, the wrath of God still abides on you. But Jesus died to take care of that issue. If you would like to talk with me after the service about that, I would be thrilled. I'd be honored to talk with you. And there'll be individuals in the prayer room after the service over there by that big cherry door. You can talk to them too. If you've got questions, send me an email. I'd I'd be happy to explain these things for you so that you can know how to be forgiven of your sin and have a brand new beginning in Jesus Christ. We good with that? If you're good with that, say amen. Okay. I'm gonna send you out with a charge now to take on this responsibility of these things that you've heard and take them so seriously that you engage your social circle in conversation, maybe just by asking them, so what does the wrath of God mean to you? I guarantee you it will stimulate conversation. (laughs) I'm gonna pray for you, that you would be bold for the kingdom this week. And if you wanna talk to me after the service, I'll be right down here in the front. We ask ourselves, Father, if we're more afraid of man than we are of you. And I'm afraid so many people would say they're more afraid of man. Let it be said of us, Father, that we hold you in such a preeminent position that we hate sin as much as you do. And we love what Jesus did for us so much that we can't help but not talk about him. Make this characteristic of our church and send us out with boldness on behalf of the king who is the name of every name, the Lord Jesus Christ and all God's people said, amen. Have a great week, New Hope.